Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Judgment Call Podcast. As always, this is Miles Wilson. Hope you're having a great day, night, afternoon, whatever it may be for you when you're finally getting around to this. And today, if you can't tell by the title, I have to start by congratulating the Milwaukee Bucks, Giannis Tentacumpo, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, everybody associated with the Milwaukee Bucks organization for becoming the 2021 NBA champions. And I'm really excited. I don't know if you can tell by the tone of my voice, how fast I'm talking, whatever it may be, but Giannis Antetokounmpo is my favorite player in the NBA. And it's weird because over time, it has evolved. When I tell people that my favorite NBA player of all time is Jason Williams, I get a lot of strange looks. It's like, who? why? Because he can do the elbow pass? No. I mean, it's cool, but like, uh, the real reason is in the 2006 Eastern Conference Finals, they played the Pistons, and in one of the games, Dwayne Wade got hurt, and Jason Williams took over in that game. Him and Shaq actually had a pretty good game. If you don't know about it, go look it up. Uh, but I, he actually earned my respect in that game, and that's how he became my favorite player of all time. But if we were to actually uh, like rank them besides being the most random player you could think of, it would be Hakeem Olajuwon. Um, Jason Williams, and then Giannis Tentacompo. But after this season, after following his career from 2013 all the way until now, and just watching him grow and getting to this moment where he's crying on the sideline after he just put up 50 points in an elimination game of the NBA Finals to put away a very, very good Phoenix Suns team, um, I can comfortably say that he has jumped Jason Williams. Uh, I don't think he's jumped Hakeem Olajuwon for me. I really love Hakeem's impact on the game. But the the raw emotion displayed from Giannis, from the tears on the sideline to the outburst when Malika Andrews was asking him about how he felt about the Nassus not being there. Uh, the, just as soon as she asked him that question, he didn't even he didn't even think about an actual answer. The first thing he did was just yell at the top of his lungs. You could tell that he was so excited. You could tell that when he was telling the story about how he was sitting at the dinner table with his brother that plays for the Lakers uh, after he won his championship last year, how awkward it was and how he wanted to get a ring and he wanted his other brother, the Nassus, to get a ring. And now that he's finally done it, um, I it, it it's a really cool moment. Uh, like no matter who won for me, it would be a really cool moment e- either way. Like whether Devin Booker got a ring and it's a kid from Grand Rapids, me being from Detroit, I think that's pretty cool. Or it's Giannis getting a ring and it's uh, the, well just this kid from Greece who just picked up a basketball a little over a decade ago and now he's in his first NBA final and he wins. And it, it's just a really cool moment, especially when you look back at the adversity that he faced. Not only getting into the league, being a street vendor from Greece, him and his him him and his mom. I don't know if his dad was selling stuff on the side of the street, but I know that him, his mom, and his brothers were selling stuff on the side of the street. Uh, people ended up seeing how big he was in Greece and it was like, hey, you should start playing basketball. Then you see the Draft Express interview where it's his first ever interview in English. Five years from the point where he first picked up a basketball He's doing an interview with Draft Express, talking about what are his aspirations heading into the NBA draft. And he was just saying that he just wants to be an NBA player. He didn't have lofty goals like some guys who come from college and is like, yeah, man, I know that I'm going to make it to the league. One day I want to be an MVP. One day I want to make it to the playoffs. One day I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to achieve this. I want to have these accolades. It's just Giannis was just, he's always been such a humble dude. And you can tell that through his mentality all the way, not even just through this playoff run, going all the way back to 
a couple years ago when he first won his very first MVP. And the thing on his mind wasn't, hey, I've made it farther than I ever thought I could be. It's, I want more. I'm hungry. And then he won his second MVP. And he's still telling the fans, he's still telling the media, don't refer to me as a two-time MVP until I win a championship. And then he gets to the point a couple years before where he's having these interviews and people are trying to put him on this pedestal as where Giannis, you're so good. You're so young. You could become the best player in the league one day. And he's responding to all of these um, early statements about how great he is that, hey, it's a little bit early for that. I haven't even made it out the second round. Hey, we shouldn't even be talking about this. I haven't even made it to a finals yet. Hey, I, me and my team haven't even cracked it past an Eastern Conference finals yet. And then you you have all this leading up to this point where Giannis leads this Milwaukee Bucks team to their first ring, first championship in 49 years. And it's incredible. It's incredible. Giannis can finally sleep well at night knowing that he can be referred to as a two-time MVP, defensive player of the year, multiple-time All-Star, finals MVP, and now an NBA champion. And not only is he an NBA champion, he is an NBA champion at a scale where some people may never reach because he did it putting up absolutely incredible, historic, legendary, whatever adjective you want to use to classify his numbers putting up 35 13 boards five assists two blocks I'm going to round up he averaged 1.8 blocks I'm going to round up because the amount of blocks that he averaged during this series does not quantify how important he was on the defensive end not even to mention that he battled back from a hyperextension injury where if you listen to my last podcast if you've ever hyperextended anything it is at least a two-week injury I believe that he came back at least two to three games too early he still battled back he still gave you an efficient game one with the what was it uh 20 23 points and then he gained and then my voice cracked because i'm a child obviously uh and then he gave you the 40 the f- two 40 point games back to back then he closes it out with a 50 point game he didn't want to hear any excuses from himself his teammates anybody within the organization he put it all on the line even reports came out after he won the finals that in game five he had played himself so hard that he got sick. He needed an IV. None of that leaked out. He didn't care about any of that. He was head down, laser focused. He didn't care about any of it. Put up historic numbers, 60% from the field, which is expected from a guy who gets to the basket as easily as he does. And then on top of that, all of the legends in the game who watch Giannis and how dominant he is talk about how great he is. You got Shaq giving up his Superman title to him. And this is this is actually an, an incredible from Shaq because he's done this for, I want to say the past three years. I think he started doing this when he won his first MVP. Um, and he was like, he, he would always say on TNT that I'm not, I'm not Superman anymore. I, I relinquish this, t- I relinquish this title to Giannis and people would always give Shaq all kinds of hell for it and it was like why Shaq you're the most dominant player we've ever seen and Shaq would consistently give Giannis his props and say nope it's not it's not me it's Giannis you've got to look at how people guard Giannis they weren't guarding me like that it was like even though you had to send two three people at me yeah I wasn't dribbling the ball up the court Giannis is me with a handle and he's getting to the rim and you have to build this wall and you're taking away from all these shooters that they have and so he's giving up his title. And this is coming from Shaq. This is one of the uh, definitely top 10, if not top seven, maybe five greatest players of all time. 
Then you have guys like Hakeem Olajuwon, who's been high on Giannis ever since he got drafted, talking about how he wanted to work with him, talking about how Giannis, uh, this was back in 2016, I believe, when he made his first all-star team. It was either 2016 or 2017. I think it was right either the year he did win most improved or the year after he won most improved, where Hakeem was like, yeah, I see greatness in Giannis. It really just depends on how much work he wants to put in, how hard he's going to push himself. And now you see what that hard work has done. Now you see that Giannis isn't just this skinny kid from Greece anymore, where Quincy AC is asking, how old are you? And when he gets the answer that he's only 20 years old, he's like, damn, like this is a this is a 26-year-old legend in the making that we're seeing. And this is incredible because the entire series where I only did one or two podcasts because I didn't want to ruin the moment with hyperbole or saying that, ah, oh, I think that the Bucks are going to win in six or when the the Bucks went down 2-0. I was like, oh, the Suns are going to sweep them. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to jump to any conclusions. I just wanted to watch everything play out and then comment on what I did see and what was uh, striking to me. And when I was talking about the Brooklyn series where I was like, man, I really want to mention Giannis's name in the name of some greats like Kawhi, like Kevin Durant, like LeBron James. I wanted to see those kind of performances. I wanted to see that level of effort because I knew he had that kind of mentality uh, even I couldn't have predicted something like this. This is this is why I try my hardest not to predict because I think predictions are lazy. I think anybody can do it. You can ask somebody on the street what they think is going to happen um, in the finals, even if they've never watched a game of basketball. If you ask somebody what's your prediction on the finals, anybody could say Bucks and Six. Anybody could say Suns and Six. Anybody could say anything. But I think that watching stuff play out and then commenting on what I see is it, it, just so, 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 so much better. And it just makes this finals really, really, it just makes it that much better. It, I mean, it's, it wasn't all Giannis either, because uh, I never thought it was going to be Giannis. You can go back and listen to the other stuff I said, where it's, it's never going to come down to how good Giannis is. It's going to come down to how good the others are going to be. The stuff that guys like Charles Barkley, um, uh, Shaq, of course, Kenny, and all those guys talk about on TNT is like, how good are the other people going to be? When are the other people going to step up? And throughout the entire series, offensively guys like Drew Holiday just were not good he was not the Drew Holiday that we saw in the regular season who was putting up similar numbers but on much different efficiency he went from what 50 percent from the field to somewhere around 31 32 percent from the field uh free throw numbers actually did go up in the finals which was you know welcome sight of course uh but his efficiency from the field went down but defensively you have to give Drew Holiday his flowers that is that was the biggest thing that I took away from when they made that trade initially for Drew Holiday. Uh, it was like even though you're getting a better offensive player uh, at the time, Drew Hot not Drew Holiday, Eric Bledsoe was making all defensive teams. But even though that was happening, you've got guys like JJ Redick, Damian Lillard, and Kevin Durant saying that Drew Holiday is one of the best defenders in the league and even Kevin Durant and Damian Lillard said that he is the best on ball defender in the league this is from the words of them not me you can go actually go check that out on JJ Reddick's podcast um it was last year I believe in the bubble when he had Kevin Durant JJ Reddick did had Kevin Durant on his podcast and they were chopping it up back and forth and he was like man in 2018 Kevin Durant did he was like in 2018 man they had Drew Holiday picking me up all full, all 94 feet. And it was like, like, even though like I was, you know, I'm Kevin Durant, it's like, 
I can pretty much get my shot off of anybody. It's like Drew Holiday is really good at what he does. He slides his feet very well. He's very physical. He's very smart. He has a high defensive IQ. And it's like a lot of people don't notice that. So when you leave a guy like Drew Holiday off of all defensive teams, like maybe the media sees it one way, but in the NBA, we're like, dude, Drew Holiday is not getting the respect that he deserves. And I am so glad that even though Drew Holiday did struggle a little bit offensively, defensively, he was locked in all six games, not even all six games. He was locked in the entire playoffs. He made it really, 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 really extremely hard for Devin Booker. And it's like, even though Devin Booker, like he was good. Devin Booker was very good. His efficiency dropped slightly, but I mean, he was good. And every shot he took was an extremely tough shot. And it's like, it wasn't even just what he did for Devin Booker. It was what he did for the team. Like He was getting screened at damn near half court and he's switching off screens. He's getting back on Devin Booker. If Coach Bud told him, hey, we need you to get on CP3 this possession, and the next possession we're going to need you to switch off on a D-book, or hey, we're going to need you to fight through these screens, uh, fight through these pin downs, fight through these off balls, or whatever it was, Drew Holiday answered the bell every single time. And not only that, that game five, Drew Holiday, like like as good as the honest plays, he earned the MVP and all of that, like whatever. That sequence by Drew Holiday in game five, in the fourth quarter of game five, really the entire game five, that won them the championship. Like, the, I did not think that the Bucks were going to come back and, well, they they had to leave for the majority of the game. But I didn't think that the Bucks were going to run away with it the way that they did, especially when things got close and Devin Booker, Devin Booker was cooking. He was having a great game. And then he ran into the triple team and then he stopped. And I was like, ah, shit, well, maybe he's going to try and draw a foul. Maybe he's going to kick it out or something. And then Drew Holiday doing what Drew Holiday does. This is the second time that he's ripped Devin Booker because the first time he ripped Devin Booker at half court, then he drained the three in his face. This time he rips Devin Booker. He keeps his eyes up while he's heading down court. He throws an incredible lob to Giannis Antetokounmpo. And then Giannis gets the and one. And I, I, I don't remember if he knocked down the free throw. But regardless, I, I'm, I'm going be real. I was so hyped that a play like that happened before my eyes. I'm just sitting here watching it like a little kid. Like, I'm like, did, did Drew Holiday just win the Bucks a finals? Because, I mean, at that point, I didn't think that the Bucks were going to lose two in a row. They just won three in a row after that. And I'm like, damn, that was incredible. Like, that is something that my kids are going to watch one day. That is something that they're going to play on ESPN, FS1, whatever your sports uh, channel of choice is. They're going to play that forever. Absolutely incredible to watch. And then here comes Chris Middleton. Every time they needed a big clutch bucket, here comes Chris Middleton. Whether that's knocking down a clutch mid-range, whether it's knocking down a clutch three, whether that's getting to the line. It was just this team started operating so well when they needed to. And it was something that I didn't see coming because I hadn't seen it a lot, especially from Coach Bud. I have to give all due props to uh, Budenholzer because I did not see this coming. Um, throughout a large majority of the Brooklyn series and the Atlanta series, I was watching. I was like, so the best lineup that the Bucks have is when Giannis plays the five. And I am seeing Brooke Lopez out here way too much. There is just too much Brooke Lopez running the five. He's playing like damn near 30 minutes a game. And I'm like, why are you not closing out games with Giannis at the five? Why are we not seeing Giannis running the five the majority of games? And then here we go in the finals. The first two games, Brooke Lopez is still out there. And I'm like, oh, here we go. But Bud hasn't learned anything. They're going to get beaten like five or six games. And then 
Next thing we know, game three, Giannis is closing out games at the five. Then game four, Giannis is playing majority of the game at the five. Then game five, after that incredible block that he had on DeAndre Aiden on that pick and roll attempt where D-Book tried to throw the lob to him, I'm like, is Bud getting it together? Like, we went from, the, at the beginning of the playoffs, if the Bucks get eliminated in the second round or the Eastern Conference Finals, it was like, hey, Bud is out of here. And then even I was skeptical that, hey, even if the Bucks do win the finals, I, I would attribute it to Giannis being great or Chris Middleton going off. But no, Bud played an extremely large role in the Bucks' win, so I can't even discredit him anymore. Everything I've said about Coach Bud and his lack of ability to adjust, I will admit my wrongdoing on because he he did an excellent job in the NBA Finals. And not only am I happy for him, I'm happy that people can stop shitting on Coach Bud for just a little bit. I mean, he does he have his faults? Absolutely, but we all do. So I can't fault anybody on this team. Even Bobby Portis came up huge. He's embracing he's embracing the city city of Milwaukee the same way the city city of Milwaukee is embracing him. Uh, I think that's lovely. Uh, shout out to Brooke Lopez too. He is a seasoned veteran, uh, all time leading scorer in Nets history. Man, shout out to Brooke Lopez. He got him a ring. Uh, I, I really think this is just a great situation. Super 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 happy for the Bucks. Congratulations to you guys again. And of course, we can't just only talk about the winners. We have to talk about the Phoenix Suns as well. And I I just, I really feel bad for Monty Williams of all people. Because Monty Williams was my vote for Coach of the Year. I thought Monty Williams was absolutely fantastic. Uh, the Suns just weren't really a team that like people paid attention to until the back end of the season where they started like really picking things up. Because like at Christmas time, they just... They were about middle of the pack. They weren't great. Uh, I believe they had one of the lowest, their starting lineup had one of the lowest efficiency ratings in the league. So I was like, I mean, like I like the team because I was a, I'm a big fan of Cal Bridges uh, only because I'm a Michigan fan. And every time somebody plays very well against Michigan, I tend to follow their careers. I'm going to do the exact same thing with Johnny Juzang when he goes into the draft this year. Uh, but I really like Mikhail Bridges. Uh, Devin Booker's from Grand Rapids. I've followed his career. I was a huge fan of the Suns taking DeAndre Aiden at pick one, two. So I just really liked this Suns team. And then they signed Chris Paul. And I was like, after, well, after what he did with the Thunder, the Suns have to be good. And then they ended up making it all the way to the finals. Monty Williams was fantastic. But his post-game speech, man, Monty Williams' post-game speech was heartbreaking. You could tell, like, uh, the first question that he was asked, man, he was already fighting back tears. Like he he had he stood no chance. Like he knew that his team worked their ass off to get here. He knew that he coached his ass off to get here. He knew that this team deserved to be where they were at, not just because of the talent that was on the team, but because of the amount of work they put in from the beginning of the season to the midseason mark, uh, through all the way throughout the playoffs. Um, and it it really hurts because he he said it's gonna take him a while to get over this one, and I understand. Uh, I truly do, and I really hope that the Suns do get back to this point, um, not just for Monty Williams, but for Devin Booker, man. Devin Booker was absolutely fantastic. Like uh, People talked so much about Giannis that it kind of seemed like Devin Booker, uh, like de what Devin Booker did was getting swept under the rug. It was kind of like what Devin Booker was doing was normal. And I mean, maybe for a guy like LeBron or a guy like Kawhi or a guy like Kevin Durant or somebody like that. Uh, but that's because they've been there before. That's because they're seasoned. That's because they're already like their status is already solidified. Devin Booker is 24 years old. This was his not just his first finals appearance. This was his first playoff experience 
period. And not only was it uh, people were talking about Giannis so much, people kept trying to force on us that the Suns only made it this far because of Chris Paul. People were, were just talking about, oh, Chris Paul this, Chris Paul that, Chris Paul this. It was like, no, Chris Paul is very good. Chris Paul is a good leader. Chris Paul is a great distributor of the ball. He is going to be a Hall of Fame point guard when he retires. But the most important player on this team is the guy that's leading the team in score, 24-year-old Devin Booker. In his first playoff run ever, he put up 27-6-5 and five, uh, on 45-35-90, which is extremely impressive. And then he gets to the finals, and he averages 28-4-5 on 46-27-88. And I know that the three-point numbers like look a little drastic, but I feel like people think that Devin Booker is a better three-point shooter than he actually is. He's actually a kind of below-average three-point shooter. He's just really good at getting to his spots in the mid-range. That's where the Kobe comparisons come from. Uh, but th- this was fantastic. And when I was watching Devin Booker on the sideline as the confetti fell, and he was over there wiping the sweat off his face with his jersey, wipe, watching the confetti fall and seeing the Bucks celebrate on the home court, and he would, you could just see him mouth the word, damn. And it's like, that's kind of what you want to see from your star. He sees how bad it hurts to get to this point. And he sees how much guys like Giannis and Drew Holiday wanted it. And you see how they're celebrating. You see the raw emotion and Devin Booker. You could just see it in his eyes. He wants to get back here. He he's he's not going. He he's hungry. He's he's got. I feel like he's got that same mentality as Giannis. All it seems like all them boys that worked out with Kobe. If if they picked up anything from Kobe, it is you are going to go into the gym. You're going to work hard. You are going to work for what you want. And Devin Booker is cut from that same kind of cloth. So I have no worries about Devin Booker, especially the way that he performed. And not only did Giannis have back-to-back 40-point performances in the finals, so did Devin Booker, and he's two years younger. This is all before he turned 25. He has the most playoff points uh, in a debut for anybody in NBA history. That now belongs to Devin Booker. Um, and, and then you, you got to look back at it. It was like guys like LeBron and Shaq, when they made it to their first finals, LeBron got swept by the Spurs. Uh, back in what was it? Oh, six, seven, whatever it was. LeBron got swept his first time. Uh, Shaq he got swept by Hakeem back in '94 when Hakeem won his first ring. And it's like, well, Devin Booker went to an NBA Finals, his first NBA Finals, and he won two games. I was like, I'll take that for your first for your first time ever making it to the playoffs. You can't be mad at that. I mean, even though you did go up. 2-0 and like you wish you would have been able to get those last two wins it's like you cannot be mad at this start this is not where Devin Booker is going to end his career and I want to see him back here because it's it's like you could just tell uh, and then not only not only could you tell in the post-game conference he said this is the most hurt I've ever been in my entire life so I'm hoping that him and this young core can make it back to this point because I want to see Devin Booker win a ring now. That is that is the that is the wagon that is the bandwagon I'm going to hop on. Let's get Devin Booker back to the finals. Let's hope that everything shapes out in his career that he is at the top of the mountain one day. He has an NBA championship. He has a Finals MVP, and I think they can do it. Uh, like even though Chris Paul is on the back end of his career, he's like 36 now. The rest of this core is pretty young. Uh, you got DeAndre Ayton. He's 22. Got Macau Bridges. He's 24. Got Cam Johnson. He's 25. Uh, if they bring Campaign back, he's like 20, 25, 20, 20, 25, 24, 25, 26. I don't know. This is just a very young team, and I hope that they can keep it all together because 
this is this is this is this is fun. This is good for the league. Like the and like this is something that I always think about. It's like, man, I watched all these guys grow up. It's like, man, I, I grew up watching Allen Iverson. I grew up watching a prime Carmelo Anthony. I grew up watching. Well, I mean, I guess LeBron's prime has lasted for years longer than people thought. It's like, man, I grew up watching LeBron. Like, who's going to be next? Like, that's something that I've always pondered because we would always get these drafts where it's like there's guys like Andrew Wiggins and Jabari Parker and Anthony Bennett. And then, you know, they don't always pan out. It's like, well, man, somebody's got to be the face of the league. We've got to have some stars to replace the guys that I watched growing up. Who's it going to be? And now we're seeing guys like Jason Tatum pop up out of nowhere. He's got a teammate. Jalen Brown is really good. Then you're seeing the first second round pick ever to win MVP in Nikola Jokic. And then you got, oh, here comes Joel Embiid. He's fantastic. He's he's bringing back the old school big. Then you got guys like Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns. Then you got the small guys. You got Trey Young. You got Donovan Mitchell. You got Devin Booker. And I'm like, man, the league is going to be in a very, very great place for years to come. And it's very, very interesting. But now that we're done with the season, it's like, what's next? It's like not just what's next for the Suns, not just what's next for the Bucks. What's next for the NBA? What's next for everybody? And I feel like the NBA is the only sport, uh, at least in America, where the off season is more interesting than the regular season. I, I actually say that it is the only sport where the off since off season is more interesting than the regular season. It's almost like by game five, like people are just wanting. The season end, it's like, man, can we crown a champion already? Like, I mean, at least in the NFL, it's one and done. Uh, you got one playoff game, you're out. Uh, the NBA is like, yeah, let, let, let's extend it a little bit. I kind of wish we'd go back to the 90s rules where the first round is best of five or best of three. It's like, yeah, we don't really need all these games until you get to the finals. But now we're here. Next week, we have the NBA draft. Shortly after that, I think a couple days after that, we have the off season. And I'm excited. Not only am I excited because the Pistons have the number one pick and we're going to take Cade Cunningham. I don't want to hear anything else about Jalen Green and Evan Mobley or trading it away. We're going to take Cade Cunningham. Uh, I'm still thinking about a nickname for Cade Cunningham. I'm, I'm thinking Cade Icewood. It, it's got to be something. We, as soon as he steps across the stage, uh, Adam Silver has to hand him some buffs or something, man. We, we, we got to get Cade igni- uh, inducted into the culture immediately. He was at a Tigers game this past weekend. Turned him up because everybody in the crowd was saying, we want Cade. Cade want to be here. Cade himself said that he thinks he could take the Pistons to the playoffs his first year. Please don't say that. Please, let's just rebuild in peace. Why can't we do that? Why, why we got to go to the playoffs our first year? Uh, personally, I don't want to see Mason Plumlee in the playoffs. And I don't hate Mason Plumlee. But we're going to get put out the first round. And that's okay. But if Cade thinks he could do it, uh, who am I to tell him that he can't? Uh, so I'm really excited for that. But then you keep you keep looking at the draft and it's like, okay, well, now that I'm looking at it, okay, well, the Rockets have the number two pick. They should go Jalen Green. Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. would be lovely to watch. Uh, that would end up being a team where I'm like, man, they're going to be really, really good in like four years with the core of Christian Wood, Kevin Porter Jr., who wants to be a point guard, which I love. And then you got Jalen Green, who is a very, very pure scorer. It's like, okay, I really like that. And then you got, okay, well, number three, you got the Cavs. Uh, should they keep Colin Sexton? You got Colin Sexton. You got Darius Garland. And hopefully they re-sign Jared Allen to a very long-term deal. It's like, okay, well, I think Evan Mobley would fit right there at number, um, at the four spot. And, you know, you got Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, who's another rotational big, who he's like, he could run the five, but he also has the frame of a guy who could be a really good four and then could just have a really defensive front court. It's like, okay, well, that's cool. 
And it's like, you get to four, and it's like, well, the Raptors could go anywhere. So it's like, well, the draft really starts at four. And it's like, well, it could be Jalen Suggs. And it's like, okay, well, some people are really high on Scotty Barnes. And then you got Jonathan Kaminga. And then I'm sitting here. It's like, okay, well, maybe I can go ahead and start on a comprehensive draft list of who I think is, like, really good. And I'm like, I'm, I'm writing down all these names. And I'm like, okay, well, let's try and make a top ten. And then I'm like, uh, I've got about 30 names here of guys who are just really good. And it's it's it, this is another one of those drafts where it's like this we could be looking at a 2018 part two because I, I'm so so here uh, I'm making my top ten and it's like okay well I have Suggs is the fourth best talent and it's like okay well Kaminga's good and then I'm like okay well I like this Alperin Shingun guy this foreign this foreign uh, based big it's like okay well he's pretty good and then I'm keep watching tape it's like okay well Davian Mitchell it's like they call him off night for a reason if he can get his offense around it's like okay I could see him being a top ten player it's like James Booknight he was fantastic out of UConn. It's like Jalen Johnson was pretty good at Duke. Jared Butler's finally been cleared to play. It's like, okay, well, I really like Jared Butler. He's a definitely a lotter pick if he's healthy. And it's like, well, I, I haven't even got to Moses Moody yet. I haven't even got to Jason Preston yet. I haven't even got to Franz Wagner yet. I haven't got to Chris Dorte, Tariq Cooper, Jaden Springer, Miles McGride, Cody Kispert, Ayo Dosumu, Trey Mann. It's like, what? Like we're we're gonna get into the second round. It's still gonna be guys like Quentin Grimes on the board, Shondi Brown, Amias Kada, Isaiah Livers, Josh Christopher. And it's like teams with multiple picks. Like this this role or this idea that Sam Presti has, uh, you know, thought of where it's like, hey, I'm just gonna hoard all these picks and I'm gonna I'm gonna scout as hard as possible. I'm gonna get all these guys in. Like OKC has six picks in this draft, and I've got at least thirty five names on here of guys who can definitely find their way onto a roster and contribute and it's like whoa the landscape of the league is going to be insane within the next like what five years maybe like some of these guys are going to be instant impact guys like please do not let the celtics get davian mitchell or the warriors get either davian mitchell or cody kispert because this is if if (laughs) if the warriors somehow get kispert which i think is going to be a very likely possibility that they do. They are probably getting the most pro-ready role player that is available in this draft. Uh, Corey Kispert shot like, what, 50% from the field, like 44% from three. And he wasn't just shooting from college range. Like, he was, like, he got some range. He, he got a he got a ratchet on his shoulder. It's like, now, if you stick Kispert on the same court as Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, and it's like the Wiseman or whoever you want to put out there. It's like, like, even if he doesn't start his first year, like they'll probably end up doing something with Andrew Wiggins and get a piece for him. They probably won't re-sign uh, 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 Kelly Oubre. And it's like, man, you got two picks to reload, sign some guys. Jordan Poole gave you some valuable minutes. Uh, still got a guy that you like and want, Toscano Anderson. Eric Pascal has been pretty good. It's like, well, now, don't let David Mitchell fall to 7 and they take him. And then don't let Kispert fall to 14 and they lug up on both of them. Now you have a Warriors team that is ready to get right back into championship contention. Like It is just so many storylines to follow this offseason where it's like, like, the, the, like, this is the future, man. Like, I, like, I'm, like, I'm smiling over here like I'm a little kid, but it's like, like this is this is like really really fun stuff. Like uh, and then there's a guy like Cam Thompson out of uh, not Thompson Cam Thomas out of LSU who I really like. He could easily go to a team like uh, like I hate to double dip on the Celtics, 
But the Celtics really do need guard help, and they could go. He could go straight to this, go straight to the Celtics, come off the bench, and easily be in contention for the Rookie of the Year just because of how good a scorer that he is. Uh, same goes for a guy like Sharif Cooper, who go who could go to a team like the Pacers and end up just being their number one point guard, or he could end up coming off the bench and he could be another guy who's just in just in the right spot. And it's like, hey, um. Well, we don't have a backup point guard. You know, Aaron Holiday didn't get the job done. So, you know, Sharif, you can go out there and do whatever you want. It's like, okay, I'll give you 15 off the bench. It's like, it's possible. Like, these are, like, the talent gap from 2013's draft where Anthony Bennett is the headliner to 2021 where we have all these guys who can do all these different things. And it's like, well, does anybody have, like, glaring holes in their game anymore it's like even a guy like scotty barnes where the concern is oh uh, well like he's really athletic he's really good defensively but can his jump shot come around it's like well even if it doesn't if he goes to a team like the magic where they're already extremely defensively sound it's like well he fits in perfectly fine like there is a fit for everybody in this draft so i really can't wait to see like how this pans out i think the draft starts on the 29th or the 30th of this month um, so I'm really going to be looking forward to that. I will definitely try my best to put together my most comprehensive top. I'm going to probably aim for at least 40 players. I'll probably do like a 20 to 40 minute podcast. It, it might be longer depending on how in-depth I go on each player. But I will definitely aim to give you guys a comprehensive list of my top 40 prospects. Uh, but until then, uh, these are my most the teams that I see going into the offseason, not just the draft, uh, but that these are the teams with the most to gain and the most to lose. No, I don't have all 30 teams on here. These are just some teams that have caught my eye. Uh, the first one is Oklahoma City. Um, as I just touched on, them, touched on them a little bit, pause. Uh, they have six picks in this draft. Three of them are in the first round, three in the second round. And... Uh, I, I I believe in them, their ability to draft. Like I really do. Uh, like not only did they were they able to draft Kevin Durant, you know, Russ Harden, whatever. Like we can talk about that all day long. But I think that Sam Presti is just a good GM, and that he's going in the philosophy that hey, I'm gonna hoard all of these picks all the way up until like 2027 or 2028, however many he has. And it's like I am going to make sure I scout my ass off to find some diamonds in the rough, find some stars. And I think that he will. I, not only, like, luck of the draw, like, if you have 17 picks to get a superstar, you'll probably get a superstar somewhere along there. But I, I think that the the Oklahoma City trajectory, like, who they'll be in 2028, like, obviously it starts today. But I think that they are going to grab at least one star and one key role player out of this draft. Like, we're going to look back in this draft, uh, like, maybe three, four years down the line. We're going to be like, okay, so this is where it started for Sam Presti. He took... This guy and this guy and both of these guys are still on the team. And it's like, okay, they're really contributing to the plan that Sam Presti has laid out for them to get back to a championship. Uh, and then next, am I biased here? Absolutely. But it's the Detroit Pistons. Um, the way that we are attacking the offseason uh, is the right way. Like We are finally doing things the right way. Uh, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Stan Van Gundy set this team's back, set this team back at least four years. Uh, the Pistons should have been trying to do a clean slate rebuild since at least 20, 2016, 2017. We should, the, we should not have traded for Blake Griffin. We, have not, should, we should not have been trying to make those playoff pushes. Um, I, I will say the, the best thing that came out of it 
is that we moved on from Andre Drummond and that we moved on from Blake Griffin and Reggie Jackson. Uh, that, that is the best thing that came from it because I never really was high on Andre Drummond. Like, I'm glad that he went to the Lakers so people could see why when I would complain about Andre Drummond, it wasn't just me being salty. It was literally me just like, Andre Drummond is not good offensively. He doesn't really care all, much, all that much defensively. Like, he's a cool rebounder, but when he goes back up and misses his layup three times and he shoots 42% on layups, it's like, okay, well, now I don't even want to watch basketball anymore because I don't know what the fuck I'm watching. But it's like, I mean, yeah, like, okay, like, cool. We moved on from those guys. And then we had this draft where we pick up Sadiq Bey. Uh, we pick up Isaiah Stewart. And then we have Killian Hayes, who I still like, like, even though he had, he had a torn labrum. And then coming back, like, he had his flashes. So I I actually like our young core. Then we're going to get Kay Cunningham. We're going to stick him on the floor with these guys. And it's like, ah, we still have three third, we still have three second round picks. It's like, okay, I, well, I believe in what Troy Weaver's doing. I think we can at least hit on one of them. And with as deep as the draft is, like, I'm confident that we can hit on at least one of the second round picks and at least get some guy, whether he's going to start or whether he's just going to contribute off the bench very well, or whether we get a couple guys in our G League rotation where it's like, okay, well, we're getting some Hoovers now, not basketball players. <laughs> and it's like, okay, well, cool, we're heading in the right direction. So I was like, I really like the way the Pistons are going. Maybe we can bring in a veteran like Patty Mills uh, this offseason to come off the bench and, you know, mentor Killian Hayes, give Kay Cunningham some pointers. Uh, I, I just think that we have the cap space to do what we need to do. Uh, not bring in any superstars, but bring in the right guys like, when we were going to sign guys like Anthony Tolliver, that's when I was the happiest as a Pistons fan because we, we didn't need to go. We didn't need, we don't ever need to, like, people don't really want to come play in Detroit, and that's okay. The, the, the guys that want to come play in Detroit, I am happy with coming to play in Detroit. Uh, next, another team to gain that has a lot to gain, uh, the Orlando Magic. And, you know, like, the Orlando Magic aren't, like, you know, like, they're not, I wouldn't say they're, like, doing it the way the Pistons are doing it. But I really like the direction that the Orlando Magic are going. I, I feel like getting rid of Vucevic and sending him to a team where it's like, okay, well, he doesn't really fit our timeline. Uh, let's get Window Carter in and get a couple other guys in. It's like, well, I, I, I like that they have a good understanding of their trajectory and they don't want to hold anybody who doesn't fit the direction that they're going in. Like, I really appreciate a team that is self-aware because some teams, uh, like I'll get to in a second, they just don't know their identity. They don't know where they're going. They don't know where they're headed. They're just kind of driving the car with a blindfold on and hoping that they don't crash. And a team like the Orlando Magic, they're extremely self-aware. They're like, okay, let's get young. Let's get everybody on the exact same track. Um, and the two top 10 picks uh, that they have are going to be extremely, extremely valuable to their tenure, at least if they could hit on those picks. And like some guys that I want to see there is like uh, Jonathan Kaminga. Like, I mean, I know like scouts are iffy on... Jonathan Kaminga for some reason. It's like I understand. Like he was okay with the ignite, but you know, he's got some iffy spots in his game. Like, but like what? He's like nineteen. I think I think he's either eighteen or nineteen. He's like, all these guys are young. All these guys that are skipping out on college to go play for the G League are like extremely young. They have a lot of room to grow. And it's like as we've seen as of late, it's like some of these guys are late bloomers, some of these guys, they just catch fire when they do. Like a guy like Jordan Clarkson, who was just like a streaky shooter with the Lakers, and then he goes to the Jazz, gets into the right situation, and blam, six man of the year. Like so, it's like a lot of these guys who have talent, but they have some holes in their game that you know scouts want to point out and be like, ah, well, you might want to pass on them for this. It's like, well, eventually, like if we give guys a chance and we don't just expect everybody to be uh, Ricky or John Wall or uh, Ricky or Carl Anthony Towns or Anthony Davis, it's like, well, once you start giving these guys a chance, it's like, okay. 
well, they could really turn into something. So I like a guy like uh, Kaminga there. I'd like them to take a chance on a guy like Book Knight. Oh, man. Uh, a lethal scorer like Book Knight, I'd, I'd actually be terrified of him going to the Warriors, too. They don't need a guy who could. Because, like, Clay Thompson is a great scorer. Like, he's great. But Clay doesn't put the ball on the ground like that. If you have another guy, like, I'm not going to say like Steph, because no one is like Steph. But if you have another guy who can create with the ball in his hands like Steph, and then still kick it to a guy like Clay, or kick it to another shooter that they end up drafting, they're like, hmm, I'm I'm scared. It's like like this is just a lot of di- different good fits. But anyway, back to the Magic. I like Kaminga there. I like Book Knight there. Jalen Johnson isn't a bad fit there. Um, Chris Duarte, uh, but the, he might end up going in the second round. Uh, still, it's just a lot of good fits there. Uh, there they also. I don't know if they have any second round picks, but I know that those two top ten picks, especially in a draft like this where it's extremely deep, it's a lot of talent in there. Uh, I really like what they have going for them. Uh, and then next, since I was touching on the Warriors, pause again. Uh, the, the Warriors are just—they're just in such a good position. Like I, I don't want to say that the Clay Thompson injury helped them because you know they probably would have made the playoffs with Clay Thompson. I think that Klay Thompson is going to come back next year reasonably healthy, and him missing this one year prompted them to get back into the lottery, and they'll probably get back into the playoffs again next year, but then they'll have two pieces that they're not paying you know, the free agency tax for. They're paying rookie contracts to two guys, whoever they draft, that can come in immediately and be helpful. And like they have two lottery picks. Like You have a team with arguably one of the not arguably Steph Curry is one of the five best players in the NBA you have a player you have a guy with two of the best shooters in the NBA one of the five best players in the NBA one of the five best defenders in the NBA a young guy in James Wiseman who has a little bit of room to grow um, and then a couple of cool pieces off the bench who you enjoyed and Eric Pascal Jordan Poole and Montez Gunnell Anderson and it's like okay well let's add some more young pieces to that so not only are you setting up your future after Steph Curry leaves you're still trying to get these guys invo- in, injected into the culture that you've already established with Steph, with Clay, with Dre, and you're already getting that championship DNA sewn into these young guys so that you can create a dynasty that doesn't involve going to get free agents or big name free agents, at least. And I, I really like the direction that this Warriors team is headed in. Uh, whether they intended to or not, um, it's actually turned out for the best for them. And then last but not least, uh, for the teams to gain, uh, the Houston Rockets. Um, it's like I, I I talked about them a little bit. Like I like their core. If they end up drafting Jalen Green over Evan Mobley, and they rock with Christian Wood, Evan Mobley, and uh, Kevin Porter Jr., who I really like a lot. Um, they still have some things to figure out. You know, the Eric Gordon contract is not good. John Wall has punched his ticket into the Ski Mask Hall of Fame. If he can't come back next year and be what he used to be, even if he's you know. Even if he's lost stuff, you know, he can't be as fast as he was when he was 25. But, you know, if he's reasonably good, then I, I, I still can't justify him being paid $44 million. That's just, that is absurd. He, he literally got paid $44 million to do absolutely nothing. But still, their future looks bright. You have three first-round picks to add to the young guys you already have. Uh, Jay Sean Tate was also pretty good this year. I don't know whether they'll keep him at the four. Like, they've been running him a little bit or they'll run out of the three, or whether they'll end up bringing him off the bench. Uh, but you have hope in Houston. It is not an empty pit of despair like it was when Harden first got traded, and you guys like lost 28 in a row. It was either 28 or 9. I think it was you, you lost as many games as you missed threes in that series a couple years ago against the Warriors. That's how bad it got for Houston. But now you have something to look forward to. 
even if you're not good this year or next year, you'll one, you'll at least be fun. Two, you'll at least have something to look forward to for the next four years, especially if you guys sign Kevin Porter Jr. to a long-term deal, which it looks like he is extremely happy to be out of Cleveland and somewhere where he is wanted. Uh, and then next, we will end this off with the teams that have the most to lose this offseason. And we're going to start this with the New York Knicks. And whether this is by design or it just happens to be media hype, seems like every offseason, uh, people are like, Oh, the Knicks are going to sign. Uh, <laughs> they're going to sign some big free agent this year. It, it, it always it's always two teams. See, the Knicks or the Lakers. It seems like they're just going to sign every single person. And you know, the Lakers usually get somebody. They got LeBron, got Anthony Davis, uh, got Drummond. The Knicks usually don't get anybody. I mean, they got Julius Randle, and he turned out to be fine. But you know, as far as like big name guys who are like already established, it was like. Uh, at some point, people are like, oh, they're going to get Kevin Durant. Oh, sign with the Warriors. Oh, Kevin Durant's free agent again. Oh, sign with Brooklyn. Oh, they're going to get Kawhi. Sign with the Clippers. It's, it's, it's just a never-ending cycle of, oh, the Knicks might get somebody. And then it's like, oh, well, they don't get nothing, and this is what they ended up with. And after the way their playoffs ended, it's kind of like, well, they need somebody. This time, it's like, well, they made the playoffs without finally getting people after all these years. But when they finally made the playoffs, their best player was Derrick Rose. He's a free agent. He's also like 32. And it's like the guy that won most improved really had probably one of the worst series out of all your players. Uh, one of your lottery picks in Kevin Knox doesn't seem like he's going to pan out. Uh, Frank Nilakina is a good defender, but it's like, I mean, aside from that, like, what does he do for you? Um, it's just like you have a lot of questions that need to be answered. I mean, like, are you going to say that, hey, we like Emmanuel quickly a lot. We're going to hope that he's going to be our point guard of the future. Uh, Obi Toppin had a meh rookie year. It's like, okay, well, what do you want to do? Like, how do you see the Obi Toppin pan out? It's like, are we going to stick with Obi Toppin as our starting four eventually? And then it's like, oh, well, there's Alfred Payton. It's like, I mean, he plays fine in spurts. Like, you know, like, but are we going to stick with Alfred Payton as our eventual point guard of the future? It's like, I know they missed Mitchell Robinson a lot. I like Mitchell Robinson. I think Mitchell Robinson's very good. But it's like, they just have so many questions that need to be answered. And it's like, well, who are you going to go after? Because, like, the free agents that you have out here, like, or are you going to try and make a run at CP3? Are you going to try and go get Lowry? Are you going to try and go get DeMar and run him at the one this year after the year he had in San Antonio? Uh, do you want to go get Lonzo? And try and give him an offer. You're going to try and bring D. Rose back. It's like They just have so many things to answer. And I'm not sure I have any faith at all in James Dolan. I'm going to put it like that. I don't care for James Dolan. I don't care for his basketball acumen. And I don't care for how he's run the team. So, my fault for not having much faith in the Knicks. But, you know, they really haven't given me much to look forward to. Uh, next team is the San Antonio Spurs. They're just a team that is in... A very weird limbo. It's like, I don't really know what to make of them because it's like, like well, you, you hear these rumors for those, like, well, oh, they, they want to get rid of Lonnie Walker or DeWante Murray. It's like, wait, they're not that bad. And it's like, oh, well, uh, you know, they have Keldon Johnson. Like, he might be available. It's like, what? Y'all just drafted Keldon Johnson. It's like, oh, well, it looks like they're going to let DeMar DeRozan walk. And it's like, wait, he just had a really good year, even though he's a little old. It's like, I mean, you could at least sign and trade him. It's like, well, so what do you want to do? It's like, do you just want to build around Yakupoto or... Like, like, what exactly is the plan here in San Antonio? And it, it's it's only startling because this isn't something that we've seen before. Like, the Spurs have been good for, like, the past 30 years. Like, I'm not 30 yet. I'm 22. It's like, 
Well, they've been good my entire lifetime. So what exactly does a Spurs rebuild look like? Does the Spurs rebuild include Greg Popovich? Do they move on from him? Uh, does, does Greg Popovich even want to be a part of a rebuild? Like, like there's And then it's like the Spurs are just such a tight-knit organization where it's like, well, none of this information is going to get out. When, it, when, we, when they know about it, we'll know about it, pretty much. It's like, uh, well, one day Greg Popovich is going to retire, and it'll probably just shock everybody. It's like, oh, well, I mean, yeah, we knew it was coming eventually. Here it is. And, like, you know, the Spurs probably found out the same day that we did. Um, and it's like, okay, well, now we're just going to go ahead and push the full reset button. But while Greg Popovich is there, like, I feel like they're going to have to, like, be somewhat competitive unless it's just all going to, like, just hit at once. It's just going to be like, blam, DeMar doesn't resign. Blam, blam, uh, these two guys are traded. Blam, Popovich retires. Let's go ahead and blow up the whole thing. It's like, okay, well, I mean, like, both of those options are equally probable, uh, or equally plausible, excuse me, uh, but then it's like, oh, they have, like, the 13th pick in the draft, so it's like, it's not like they're going to draft, you know, top five talent at 13, or at least I don't think they will, uh, so, it's like, I, that is just something interesting to see, but it's also, like, there's just not much optimism surrounding the Spurs organization, at least at this point, so they have a lot to lose this offseason, and I don't know what their cap space is looking like. And they're, they're, they're kind of operated like the Patriots, where they just don't spend much money in the offseason. It's just never been their MO, really. Uh, so I want to see what they do. I want to see how they operate. And I want to see where they go from here. Uh, next, I have the Washington Wizards, who are also in that same kind of limbo area. Where it's like, okay, well, one, the Wizards roster is bad. Like, there's nothing good about the Wizards roster. Like, I mean, Bradley Beal is cool. David Bertans is cool. Um, That's about it. Like, I mean, like, I, I really don't care for any of these any of these guys, for real. Like, I mean, Rui Hachimara is, like, all right. Like, he's not terrible, but he he just all right. And then, you know, Denny Avdia didn't really play much. Like, he played some, but I don't know how much he really learned from Russell Westbrook. And speaking of Russell Westbrook, it's like, sounds like he's kind of available, so... If Russell Westbrook is available and he's your second best player, what does that mean for Bradley Beal? Bradley Beal's off his contract next year. So are you looking to ship him off and then you finally hit the reset button next year? Or are you going to try and ship him off this offseason? See what you can get for him uh, for next year so that you can rebuild. Uh, like you can be proactive about the situation. Or you're just going to let everything pan out and hope for the best. I don't know. And I hope that, you know, the Wizards do. But it's just it's just like they're in such a gray area. They're where the Pistons were in 2018, where they have like a couple good players where they're good enough to make the eight seed, but they are nowhere near good enough to compete with the one seed that they're going to go up against. And the one seed's just going to bash their head off the floor every time. And it's like, well, okay, well, we're clearly just wasting time and money here where we could be bringing in some young guys and building up something better for the future uh, that looks like a more cohesive team. So they're just, it's just, a, it's just two gray area teams back to back. And then we have the Clippers, who are in a very awkward situation because for the first time that you've seen, uh, Paul George has finally played good. But uh, Kawhi got hurt. He partial ACL tear, had to do had to have surgery for it, and he's probably going to miss the entire season. Or if he does come back, it'll be like in the middle of the playoffs and he'll have like he'll probably have not practiced at all. And then you don't even know that if Kawhi is going to resign. Like he may pick up that $38 million that he has available to him with his player option. But then after that, if he doesn't play the entire season, you owe him that money regardless. What do you do 
with Kawhi Leonard because it was such a tight-knit thing coming down to him going to the Clippers that offseason. It was like, oh, man, where is he going to go? Is he going to go to the Clippers? Is he going to go to the Knicks? Is he going to go to the Lakers? And it's like, well, now it's like since him and Uncle Dennis are so tight-knit and they don't want to let anything get out, I was like, well, okay, if he picks up the player option, doesn't play in 2021-2022 season, and then you get to the next offseason where both him and Paul George are free agents, and it's like, well, we're screwed because we have no picks. We sold all those for to get Paul George. Uh, we don't really have much cap space. Uh, we don't have a good roster behind uh, the, these guys. Uh, Reggie Jackson was huge for us. We don't really have the money to resign him. Uh, Serge Ibaka is old, and he's dealing with some back problems. Uh, Vika Zubac couldn't even play the majority of the playoffs because he was such a liability with his slow feet. It's like, where do we go from here? It's like we have a lot of teams who are on the verge of almost having to hit the reset button, and the Clippers are just an infor- are just in an unfortunate position since Kawhi got hurt because I think that after the performance that Paul George put on in the playoffs, Kawhi, if he would have been healthy, or at least his injury wouldn't have been as serious as we found out, uh, I think that Kawhi would have came back and he would have liked to play with this version of Paul George, especially in the playoffs. But now that Kawhi is hurt, he's got to preserve himself. He's got to do what's best for him. And what's best for him might not be carrying the load for this Clippers team. Like, it's like, well, like man, I put my body on the line back-to-back years and I have nothing to show for it. Like, I might as well go to a better team. Like, I can go to Miami, play with Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. Maybe they get them a guy like Kyle Lowry on a two-year deal and then you have a really nice three-headed monster, four-headed monster out there in Miami. Or it's like, hey, man, that Luka kid, we saw what he can do. I might go out here to Dallas and team up with Luka and KP. Or maybe they let KP go. Or like, like whatever. It's like, Kawhi Leonard has options. He's not like in his mid-30s. I think he's 28 or 29. So it's not like he doesn't have time to decide what's best for him. And what's best for him might not be re-signing with the Clippers. So I think that they are another team that is in a very dark space. Um, And then we have the Kings, who I don't know what they're doing. I really don't. It really all starts with Luke Walton. Uh, I don't know why they decided to retain Luke Walton. Like, this is when Luke Walton was, like, really, really bad that they announced that Luke Walton was going to come back uh, to be the coach for the next year. And it was a head-scratcher at the time. Um, It's like, not only is Luke Walton a suspect head coach, their roster is very suspect. I'm like, I'm trying to put this as nice as possible. Um, How do I say ass in the nicest terms possible? Um... Their roster is very, very, very not good. And it's like they have like okay guys. Like I like I really like Darren Fox. I really, really like Darren Fox. Um I actually like Marvin Bagley too. Like when he's healthy, I, I like what Marvin Bagley can do, but it doesn't seem like they're really willing to wait and see if he can have an entirely healthy season. You hear his name in the rumor mill a lot. And then a guy like Rashawn Holmes is cool. Buddy Hield is cool, but he's another one of those guys that's like well, even though he's only been in the league for four years, like he was like 30 when he came into the league out of Oklahoma. It's like he's old as hell. So it's like he's going to be like 29, his fifth year in the league. It's like, well, we might as well ship him off for somebody else. It's like all these other guys are kind of like bad. Like Robert Wooded the second. I'm glad there's two of them. I don't know either one of them. Jemias Ramsey, I don't know if he's even played in the NBA. Damian Jones, I, I think, played for the Warriors at some point. Or maybe it was another D. Jones. Uh, Mo Harkless, uh, I think people only know him because he had that clause in his contract that he gets an extra $250,000 if he shot a certain percentage from three. 
And then when he played for Portland, he had the percentage with four games left that he didn't take another three the rest of the season to get that money. It's the only reason a lot of people know who Mo Harkless is. Uh, DeLon Wright is like, okay, he's a serviceable backup. Terrence Davis, I don't know who the hell he is. Kyle Guy, I only know because I actually liked him out of Virginia, but he didn't really like turn into the, sh- the shooter I thought he would be. Uh, Justin James, I don't know who he is. Chimizi uh, Metu. I don't know who he is. And Hassan Whiteside is Hassan Whiteside. He's like, <laughs> it's just Hassan Whiteside, man. It's like I, like, I don't know what direction that this Kings team wants to go. Like, I can't see any big name free agents choosing the Sacramento Kings over like any other team. Like, they're probably the, the, the last place you want to go, especially they're probably the last place you want to go in California. Uh, so it's like, well, what exactly are you going to do? Especially when you have a coach that nobody likes except for you. Uh, you have pretty much no depth on your team at all. And to boot, you have the ninth pick in the draft where uh, it's like they can contribute, but they're not going to do like much. Even though I like this draft a lot, I think this draft is very deep. I think it's good if you have a lot of picks, not necessarily if you only have one pick and you have to hope that the guy that you get is a stud. They hit last year. Tyrese Halliburton is very good. He's really, really good. And, like, I mean, if you're a Michigan fan, you knew that. Uh, because, inside joke, but if you want to look up, just type in Tyrese Halliburton, Michigan. You'll you'll find something. Uh, but, you know, Tyrese Halliburton is very cool. And Harrison Barnes is a... <laughs> let's, let's talk about somebody else. Uh, but, you know, it, like, it's a basketball team in the NBA. Uh, they will probably be contending for the number one pick next year. And that is putting it very nicely. Because a lot of the teams that have you know, top five picks this year, they'll probably be much better off next year. And, uh, you know, the Kings, I, it's just, I, I don't want to be like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be like, like just hard on the Kings like that, but dog, y'all suck. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, I mean, like I'm, I'm really bagging on the Kings right now. I just really don't want to do that. Uh, because it's like, there are other bad teams in the NBA, but it's like, there are, there, there are bad teams that are trying their best to get better like they're taking steps in the right direction where it's like okay cool um let's ship this guy off let's get these picks in uh oh great we got a good pick let's try and get some more picks in the second round then it's the king it's like eh, this is fine the way the way we're doing things right now is fine our coach isn't that good Meh. let's bring him along another year Let, let's just be bad another year where it's like all these other teams are being super proactive and it's like dude, get it together. It's like, get with the program. But it's like, I mean, hey, they, uh, the way this new lottery system is, I'd be trying my best to make sure that I'm not even chancing being one of the worst teams in the league and then I get the third pick or the fifth pick or something like that. But either way, that's the last team that I had that is just in such an awkward situation that I think they have a lot to lose this off season. And that is how I'm going to wrap this up today. It was a little bit more long-winded than I wanted to be, but... Y'all know me. I'm just long-winded. I just talk a lot. And I'm okay with that. And you're okay with that because you listened all the way to here. And if you listened all the way to here, I love you. You're awesome. You're great. I appreciate each and every one of you. Hope you have a fantastic day. Make sure you go outside tomorrow. Get you some sunlight while the weather is still nice. And if it's super hot where you live, I'm sorry. Put on your sunscreen. Make sure you're safe. 
Uh, but I'll see you guys later this week, more than likely, or next week. Or you'll just hear from me when you hear from me. And that's why you love the podcast, because I'm so random. But either way, guys, I appreciate each and every one of you. As always, this is Miles Wilson for the Judgment Call Podcast. Um, I'm out. Appreciate you. See you.